0: Well, you're probably aware that Google keeps track of everything you search for. The analytics, everything. And so every year, as the year comes to a close, they, they compile a list of what people were searching for in that previous year. So, for example, according to Google, following the viral moment of Bernie Sanders putting on those mittens, you remember that from the, the presidential inauguration? Mittens were searched more than ever before. Here's another one. In this past year, according to Google, the world sought new entrepreneurship opportunities. Many people were curious more than ever, at least in terms of searching on Google, for how to start a business more than they were searching for how to get a job this year. And according to Google, in different categories from success and money and Good health and love. People were searching for affirmation more than ever before. And at the end of this web page, Google had a, a two minute uh, video. There was lots of B roll from different newsreels and things from um, the year, and that they, and they 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 would flash across the screen different things that were that were on the top of the searches uh, for this year. So I just recorded those and. Wanted you to know that this past year, more than ever before, the world searched for how to heal. How to honor somebody. Will there be another lockdown? How to take care of your mental health? How to stay strong? When can I get the vaccine? How to be resilient? How to make a comeback? How to be yourself? What is my purpose? How to move forward? how to stop Asian hate, how to use my voice, how to help our planet, what are ways to help your community, when can I visit my family, how to be hopeful. Now if you think about what people are searching for and what people are longing for, it tells a lot about people, right? What we're looking for, what we're searching for says a lot about who we are. It says a lot about what we need. And if you kind of take away some of the viral uh, moments and news headlines, if you just think back through that list, some of the most searched for things on Google in 2021 are the things that really people have been searching for throughout human history. Because in one sense, nothing really changes. And if you were to synthesize and summarize that list, you could say that people are searching for mission, and purpose, and hope. People want to know what their life is, is to be lived for, and, 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 and what we're supposed to do, and ultimately, is there hope? And as we begin this morning, as we begin 2022, we want to search for the same things, but instead of turning to, to Google for those things, we want to turn to God's Word. Our passage this morning is in 2 Corinthians, we're going to be looking at chapter 2, verses 14 to 17, and chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And in these verses, Paul speaks to our need for mission, our longing for hope, and vision. And he does so through the lens of the gospel. In other words, Paul says, look, if you're looking for mission, if you're looking for vision, if you're looking for hope, you need to do so through the lens of the gospel because it's the gospel that gives us our mission Vision and hope. So, as we walk through this passage, we're going to see how it's the gospel that fuels our mission, vision, and hope. And so, first in verses 14 to 17, if you're taking notes, here's a good outline for you. In verses 14 to 17 of chapter 2, we're going to see gospel mission. Then in chapter 3, verses 1 to 3, we're going to see a gospel vision. And then finally, in verses 4 to 6 of chapter 3, we'll see gospel vision hope. So let's begin together with gospel mission. Now if you've been around Seven Mile Road for a while you know that we typically preach through books of the Bible. We'll go chapter by chapter through them and that's really critical for good uh, Bible interpretation so we don't take passages out of context. You know when you fly into some verses you you need to know what's happening before and the the situation of the book or the letter that you're that you're reading so you don't misunderstand it right you could pick up just any book and read a paragraph and you can really misunderstand the author's intent if you don't have a good framework and understanding of what's going on see what's our job when we come to the bible to to know the context to export the meaning out of the passage there's a meaning there that we need to mine and export and then ask how does that impact our lives rather than coming in with our own preconceived ideas and importing meaning into the text. And so we haven't been studying uh, the Corinthian letters, so let me give you a little bit of the context of of, of these letters and why they were written. And really the story of the Corinthian letters goes back to Acts chapter 18, where we learn about the beginning of this church. Paul arrives in the city of Corinth and he begins the work of church planting. Um, If you know anything about Paul, you know that he was a tradesman uh, he was a tent maker, and so it was, it was a way for him to earn a living. So he would go out, and he would, he would make tents during the day. And then on every Sabbath, he would go into the synagogues, and he would reason with the Jews and the Gentiles there. And he would preach the gospel, and he did this um, over a length of time. And eventually, a church was born, and they started to gather regularly. And, it's, and, and the book of Acts tells us that Paul stayed there for over a year and a half, teaching them, uh, building up, uh, taking this this little baby new church, uh and, and, and seeing it grow and to see the leadership established there. And then eventually as, as you read through the book of Acts, you see that Paul left there and went to the next place. He was an avid church planter. He would go, he would, he would, he would preach, he would plant these churches, and then once they were healthy, once there was a leadership there, he would, he would feel free then to go on to the next place to start a church and a new work there. And then the reason we have all these letters in the New Testament is because Paul loved these churches and he would hear from them. And he would write letters to them. They would write letters back to him. And so that's why we have these Corinthian uh, 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 letters. After some time, Paul received a report that things weren't going well in the Corinthian church. There was a new leadership that had risen up who tried to make Christianity more palatable to the Corinthian church lifestyle. You can imagine the Corinthians, they're 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 you know they're they're coming out of the Greco-Roman lifestyle. They're they're starting to live and, and and they have friends and they have relationships with other people. And eventually it gets easy to start going, hey, do we really need to take God's word that seriously? Does God really care about the, the ways that we live? I mean wouldn't it be easier if we just lived maybe not full on Corinthian, but just a little more Corinthian than than Christian. I mean they almost kind of sound the same right and there's this tendency in our culture with pressures from society to start to to lessen our morality to lessen our resolve so that we can look more like the people around us and there's these leaders that are rising up saying it's okay to to live like that let's make Christianity more palatable in fact if we do won't we get more converts right and so Paul called these so-called leaders peddlers of God's word. And that word, that Greek word for peddler would refer to a merchant who would sell you a false bill of goods. One example in the literature around this time um, is uh, the the kind of wine merchants who would be selling you wine, except they would water it down in order to make more profit, right? It, It stretches your product so you can make more money. And they were called peddlers. They were diluting the pure, undefiled wine in order to make a profit. And Paul says, that's exactly what these guys are doing. They're taking God's word, they're taking God's standard, and they're watering it down, making it more profitable for them. They're not giving you the full gospel. These peddlers were watering down gospel doctrine, watering down gospel Culture, so it was no longer pure and undefiled. And again, it sounds like some things never change. That happens all the time in our culture today. And so Paul wrote them a letter of correction that we know as today as First Corinthians. So things aren't going well. People are coming in and watering down the gospel. There's a lot of disorder in the church. Paul hears about it and he writes, First Corinthians. The purpose of that letter was to provide correction to the problems going on. But many people rejected Paul's correction. A lot of people didn't like 1 Corinthians. So Paul went to visit them in person. In fact, in 2 Corinthians, Paul refers to that visit as the painful visit. He's like, You remember that time I came? The painful visit, right? The people reading this another letter are like, Yeah, Paul, we remember that time. We remember when you came. And it was hard and difficult. Why? Because conflict is like that. It's hard. It's often difficult. People don't like to be told that they're doing the wrong things. And it was a painful visit. Then after that visit, Paul wrote a follow-up letter. And that's a letter we don't have today. It's missing. But we know about that letter because in 2 Corinthians chapters 1 and 7, Paul refers to that other letter. So we know there was another letter written after the the painful visit. Then after the painful visit and the follow-up letter, many of the Corinthians came to repentance. They saw the error of their ways. They they realized their arrogance. And they sent a letter back to Paul expressing their desire to reconcile. And in response to their repentance, Paul wrote really this third letter. But we call it 2 Corinthians because we don't have the other letter And he writes this letter to assure them of his love for them, of his commitment to them. And he writes this letter to comfort them. And if you open up 2 Corinthians in chapter 1, you find that Paul begins by thanking God for them and assuring that the God of all comfort will comfort them in their troubles. See, amazing when you step back for a minute and you think about The relationship. Letters are written. They're real people writing them. They're real people receiving them. They're not just theological treatises written in some kind of ivory tower. Paul loved this church. He started that church. He planted that church. He was invested in them. He spent years with them. He knew their names. He knew their families. He knew their struggles. He knew their weaknesses. He knew their strengths. And after all of that conflict, And the reconciliation, here we are in chapter 2, verse 14. Paul says, but thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. Now, as we begin our text this morning, Paul opens up with a really vivid illustration, the triumphal procession. So if if you've got like the Macy's Day parade in your mind, it's bigger than that. It's more glorious than that. It's unlike anything you've probably ever seen. You see, Rome was all about glory and splendor. And during the glory and splendor of the Roman Empire, any time there was a Roman military uh, uh, victory, the generals of that would be marched through the city of Rome in a procession unlike anything you've ever seen. Literature from this time records over 300 of these types of of events. And if you think about it, you know, what started in Rome that eventually became this massive empire, there were a lot of victories won, and so they wanted to celebrate those victories and and boost up their nationalism and their their pride. And if you were to ever see one of these, there would have been um, seven key components to these triumphal processions. So the first wave would be uh, these people carrying depictions of the battle, like mosaics just showing um, scenes from um, the battle. There would be a display of all the plunder from the conquered cities as well. And then behind them would be this long line of white bulls that would eventually be sacrificed to Jupiter. See, the parade would, would march through the city and it would culminate At the temple of Jupiter. And there would be this big sacrifice given to him of white bulls. Third, they would march behind the bulls, uh, some of the conquered people. And the leaders, the key leaders of that conquered people. And they too would be executed and sacrificed to Jupiter. And then fourth came this group of incense bearers who would keep these incense uh, of fragrant aromas of herbs and frankincense, and it would create this cloud. It would would make it like a multi-sensory experience. There'd be a fragrance as they traveled along. Fifth came the successful general. At the heart of the parade, in the middle of this procession, was was, was glory and honor given to the general who provided the victory. And then behind them, coming in sixth, would be Roman citizens from whatever region where, where they had, uh, from, from the battle, any of the Romans who were oppressed, who were liberated, who were set free, they would be there giving their, their praise and honor and, and gratitude for being delivered out of this uh, barbaric region. And then finally, the last group were the soldiers themselves who had just fought bravely in that military campaign. So imagine this procession, this celebration of victory, this display of glory. It's meant to evoke pride. It's meant to evoke confidence. Keep that in your mind. And at the same time, keep in mind who Paul's writing to. This Corinthian church who had all of these problems. There was all of this conflict. And Paul says, despite all of your problems despite all of your dysfunction, despite the conflict we've had, he looks at them and he says, you are part of this triumphal procession. Think about that. He says, Jesus is leading you. Yes, you, even you, problem-filled, dysfunctional church leading you in triumphal procession. Christ is leading us in this victory parade because Christ has defeated sin, he's defeated death on the cross, we get to march with him in glorious victory. We get to march with him not based on our victory, not based on what we've done, but based on what Christ has done. Remember, these parades take place after the battle, after the victory. They're celebrating what's been done. What's been done. They're gospel celebrations. That word gospel, you know, it's not primarily, it didn't begin as a Christian word. It's a Roman word. See, on its own, gospel just means good news. And these parades were gospel parades. They were celebrations, good news of what's been done. This military commander has defeated our enemies. Now we live at a time when news is often confused for political commentary, right? Most of the news isn't actually news, it's, it's just commentary, opinions. That's not news. Even though it might be a news channel, they're not reporting news. That's fine, it's good to have political commentary, but news is a very specific thing. News is fundamentally a report of what has happened or what's currently happening. It's actually about facts. It's not advice or commentary. Now advice and commentary follows the news. They are related, they're like cousins, but the actual news is a reporting of facts and history. It's something you either accept or reject all based on whether or not you believe it's true or false. Like did what they say That happened? Did it actually happen? That's what news is. And then after that, news demands a response, right? We have to respond to what's happened. Like, is the news something we celebrate? Is it good news or is it bad news? Is it sad news? Is it something that we need to mourn? Is there some action that needs to take place? See, news is something that's happened. A really good friend of mine lives about a mile from... The fires that are happening in Colorado right now. I mean, he sent me a picture from him standing on his front doorstep, and you can see flames and plume. I'm like, Brad, you need to get out of there, man. I mean, he's got his bags packed every single night going to bed, going, do do we need to leave? They're just outside the evacuation line, and he's sending me pictures and reports of what's happening. That's news, and that news demands a response. Brad, I'm praying for you let us know if there's anything we can do for you and your church he's a pastor in this community and that news is going to demand some kind of a response from them right see that's what news is it's a report about something that's done and then we're faced with how we respond to that news the gospel when we use that word as a christian community we are primarily talking about news Not advice about what's happened. It's news about something that's been done for us. Primarily, the gospel is news about something that's been done for us. And that's Paul's point. Christ has defeated sin. He's defeated death. He's conquered Satan. The bloody cross and the empty tomb are the pictures on display in this parade. You can imagine... When, when Paul's talking about this triumphal procession, and you've got that first wave of people with pictures, they would have pictures of the bloody cross and the empty tomb to show the battle has been fought. It's been done, it is finished. And now Christ is leading us in triumphal procession. Now, where are we in this analogy? If you look at verse 14, Paul goes on and he says, Christ is leading us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death and to the other a fragrance from life to life. In other words, Paul says we are the incense bearers. Now how do we know that? Paul says we're the ones spreading the fragrance. Right? That's what incense does. There's a fragrance. When you burn those, those those herbs and those spices, it creates a fragrance. That's what the incense bearers do. And Paul says in this analogy, we're spreading a fragrance of the knowledge of Christ everywhere. That's what the incense bearers do. They, they would carry these incense censers and they would keep them fueled and they would keep them lit so that the burning fragrance of aromatic herbs and frankincense would create this multi-sensory experience along. The path of the parade. And in Paul's analogy, what is that fragrance? And how do we spread it? Well, in this analogy, the fragrance is the knowledge of Christ everywhere. In other words, sharing the gospel of Jesus everywhere we go. That's our job in this metaphorical parade. We share the good news of Jesus everywhere. And in typical Pauline fashion, he takes that analogy and that metaphor one step further. He says, not only do we spread the fragrance of good news, but we so identify with that good news that we become the aroma of Christ. That as we spread the good news of Christ, we become a sweet-smelling aroma of Christ. We're spreading the fragrance of Christ with our words And our very lives become the aroma of Christ. And then Paul says that to those who receive that good news, who believe in Christ, who are therefore saved, it's a fragrance of life. To those who reject the gospel, who refuse to believe in Christ, who are therefore perishing, it's a fragrance of death. Notice, it's the same message. It's the same aroma as the incense bearers are spreading the fragrance of Christ everywhere, to those who believe and who are excited about this victory of Christ, it's a joy-filled fragrance. It's it's a life-giving fragrance. But to those who are rejecting Him, that same fragrance is a fragrance of death. If you remember in the triumphal procession, there's two groups of people. There are those who are opposed to the general who've been defeated, and to these people, I guarantee you that aroma, that that incense burning is a stench of death. But to the rescued, to the liberated, the aroma of Christ is a fragrance of hope and life and love. Paul goes on and he says, who is sufficient for these things? Meaning, who's sufficient to be these incense bearers, to be the ones spreading the fragrance and the aroma of Christ? Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word but as men of sincerity as commissioned by God in the sight of God we speak Christ. Now the way Paul writes that question in Greek who is sufficient for these things expects a positive answer. In other words when Paul says who's sufficient for these things the readers would have said well we are and then we go well how are we sufficient for these things but if you think about the metaphor What special skills are required to carry incense? Nothing. No special skills. You don't have to be smart. You don't have to be brave. You don't have to be courageous. You don't have to be uh, very strong at all. You're just given the incense. You don't have to provide it. You're given the fire. You simply just walk. You just hold it. And that's Paul's point. No special skills required, meaning anyone can do it. Anyone can share the gospel. You don't have to convince people. That's not your job anyway. You don't have to be able to argue like a lawyer. You don't have to be intellectual. All you have to do is share. Open up your mouth and share. Just be faithful. And Paul says, be sincere. the message don't be like those peddlers of god's word paul's calling back to those people who would water down the gospel who would dilute it he's saying don't do that be genuine be sincere and share the message of christ everywhere just like those incense bearers paul says don't water down the gospel don't make it more palatable don't alter it See, when you start to alter the news, twist the facts, you're no longer sharing good news. Just be sincere, just be genuine. And Paul says, we receive this role as commissioned by God. Commissioned by God and the side of God to speak Christ. So if you're going, well, isn't that just for the pastors and the professionals? The answer is no, everyone. We are all in this procession. If the death and resurrection of Christ is a fragrance to you, if you're celebrating the victory of Christ as a believer, that's your place in the parade. You ever heard of St. Francis of Assisi? There's a, a quote often attributed to him. It's wrongly attributed to him, and it goes something like this preach the gospel, and when necessary, use words. Anyone ever heard that before? First of all, St. Francis never said that or lived like that. He was actually a pretty avid evangelist. He shared the gospel a lot with words. Uh, So that's not true. And secondly, it's not biblical. Right here, Paul says, through us, God spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. The very word knowledge, it means words. We speak the aroma, the, the words of Christ and share the gospel, and when we do that, we are the aroma of Christ. You see, our sufficiency for this gospel mission isn't about our skill. It's not about our intellect. It's not about our giftedness. In fact, just to be quite honest, it isn't about us at all. It's not our parade. It's his parade. Our sufficiency comes from the fact that the uh, the 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 work has been done. The battle is finished. It's about the work of Christ. And all we're doing is reporting what's happened. We're just telling people this is what happened. This is what God has done for us in Christ. This really short paragraph of of verses we've just read reminds us that the work of evangelism is the mission. Because you've been commissioned by God. It's the work of every believer. And Paul says you are sufficient for this task. You are, not because of your giftedness, but because Christ has already won the victory. All we do is spread that powerful news into our communities. How people respond is not your responsibility. It's not. If people reject the news, so be it. It's not your fault. It's not your job. That's not the role you play. Your role is simply to share. We spread the fragrance of Christ as he leads us in triumphal procession. So Christian, what is your plan in 2022 to take up your role in the parade? To spread the fragrance of the gospel. That is gospel mission. Now let's look at the next few verses to see how the gospel gives us vision. Paul goes on and he says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? So after speaking about our commission from God to speak about Christ, Paul addresses those in the church who still oppose him. Remember, so many have, have come around to see the error of their ways, but there's still this faction, this group that are rejecting Paul and even though their relationship is on the mend, there's still many in the church who are opposing Paul. They were questioning his authority as an apostle, as their pastor, and they, they were asking Paul for letters of recommendation. Like, who are you, Paul? We need to see some letters of credential. We need to know uh, who, who vouches for you. And so Paul wants to be real, real clear. First of all, he's not writing these letters to commend himself or to convince the church of his worthiness as an apostle he doesn't see the need for external letters of recommendation. So you have to remember, this is the first century. So you, you, it, today you can go look up people on LinkedIn. You can go check out people's Facebook groups or uh, or, or their pages. You can look up people on the gram to get a little bit of, uh, you know, do some social snooping to see what people are all about. You can run a Google search on people, right? You can verify information and you can read reviews about businesses. But they didn't have all that stuff, so they would rely very heavily on letters of recommendation. My guess is you didn't walk in here today carrying letters of recommendation with you in your bag, right? But back then, people did. You would have these letters of recommendation from well-known people so that if you met someone along the way, you would have a way to, to, to kind of vouch for yourself. Paul says, I don't need any of those. I'm not trying to commend myself. I don't have to prove myself. In fact, in verse 2, he says, if you want a letter of recommendation, here it is. You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you, church, show that you are a letter from Christ, delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Paul says, if you want a letter of recommendation, go look in a mirror. It's brilliant. You know why? Paul planted this church. He labored for Christ amidst heavy persecution to see a church planted in this city. And over the years of his faithful ministry, he proved his love for the church. He proved his concern for the church. And in fact, their changed lives were evidence. They were a living, breathing letter of recommendation that vouched for the genuineness of his ministry. Think about that. If there are people asking like, "Well, how, you know, how do we know that you're really faithful and true and that you really care about us?" He's like, "Look, there's a church where there wasn't one before. I labored and planted this church. I don't need another letter of recommendation." And Paul says, "This living recommendation letter, you know who wrote it? Christ. Jesus wrote this letter of recommendation not with ink but with the spirit of the living God, not on stone tablets, but on your very heart. He says, church, the only letter of recommendation I need is you. Jesus has changed your life. He's changed you from the inside out. He just used me as a messenger to deliver this letter. That's all. I'm the messenger. You're the letter. And Christ is the one who put it all in motion. Church family, changed lives by the power of the gospel are powerful recommendation letters and that's Paul's point point. and then he borrows this imagery from the old testament to capture the heart of the promises of the new testament you remember in Jeremiah 31 when The the prophet is writing about the promises of the new covenant. He says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. And what? I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declare the Lord. And I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. See, in the Old Testament, in the, uh, when the law was given to Moses, you remember, the law was written on tablets of stone. And it was glorious and amazing. Paul's not denigrating that. That was an amazing time in the life of Israel. Giving the law to the people of God was a sign of God's grace. See, they've already been delivered. They've already been set free out of bondage and captivity. And God says, by my grace, I will give you the law. Why is that gracious? Because God is saying, I want to live with you. I want to be your God. But the problem is, is you're an unholy people and I'm a holy God. And so here's the law so that you can learn holiness. It's a grace because it's an invitation into relationship. He was initiating relationship with them. So Paul's not against the law. But what Paul is saying is as glorious as Moses and Mount Sinai and God writing the law on the tablets was, as gracious as it was for God to give them instruction and direction to be his people, he's saying something even more glorious and more gracious than that is here. Because now... God writes the law on our hearts. God changes us from the inside out. The spirit of the living God comes into our lives and changes us so that we become letters of recommendation from Christ. Now think about that. When Christ wants to tell the world about who he is, about what he's done, about what he can do, about how he changes people from the inside out. He writes living, breathing letters of recommendation. I mean, that's incredible. To be known and read by all. That's vision for your life. You are a recommendation letter from Christ. And as God changes us and gives us spiritual growth and maturity, as our lives are open and read by all, we show the power of the gospel to the world. It's an incredible vision to drive the everyday direction of your life. We are letters of Christ. Jesus says to the world, you want to see the power of my gospel? He says, look at the redeemed. Look at my church. When you write you ever written a recommendation letter for somebody? You're kind of putting your reputation on the line, aren't you? Right? They're saying, hey, is this guy going to be a good worker? And you write and say, yeah, they're going to be awesome. They're going to be a good employee for you. And if they're horrible, they go back and go, who is this guy writing this letter for this person? They're a terrible employee, right? It makes The other person looked bad, doesn't it? Jesus puts his reputation on the line by saying, if you want to know what I'm all about, look at my people. It's incredible that he would do that. The power of the gospel on display in your life is a powerful vision to fuel this year. If the first part of the sermon was about the gospel in word, the second part is about the gospel in deed. Our changed lives becomes a letter that can be read by all, to be seen by our families, to be seen by our friends, to be seen by our neighbors, our co-workers. And all of it points to Christ. So how do you use that to fuel vision in 2022? First, remember, You have to remember the gospel. Paul does not say, church, get your act together. Just do it. Figure out how you're going to produce this change in your life. What does he do? He points to the author of change. Remember, he says the spirit of the living God does this. He's the one who changes us from the inside out. All of salvation, from beginning to end, all of it, including your sanctification, is from God. It's a gracious work of him. Philippians 1 6 and I'm sure of this Paul says that he who began a good work in you God begins it he sees it through completion it's not and I'm sure of this he who began a good work in you will sit back and cheer you on as you bring it to completion it's not what he says he who began a good work will bring it to completion so we march on from a place of victory, because Christ has defeated sin and death and promises our sanctification. We play our role in the parade. We spread the aroma of Christ. And we live our lives as these letters of recommendation, open to be read by all. That leads us to our second point. We let people into our lives. See, a letter in the envelope cannot be read by all, can it? What do you have to do with a letter? you got to open it. Unfold it and put it out there so it can be read by all. So, this is Paul's point. Live your lives. Let people into your lives so they can read Christ's letter of recommendation. Don't hide your life. Don't fake your flaws. See, a lot of times we think we've got to hide all of the baggage and the flaws, right? You can let people see them in your weakness and say, Yeah, Jesus paid for that too. I'm a work in progress too, just like you. We could be humble about our strengths and say, yeah, God's grace is changing me. By God's grace, I'm becoming something new. He's growing me. So we can say in our weaknesses and in our strengths, by the grace of God, I am what I am. God changes people through the gospel and in his wisdom and for his glory, he uses us both in word and in deed to show the world the power of grace and how it transforms our lives. Christian, is your life open to be read so that people can see the power and grace of God in your life? So as you're thinking about your 2022, how will you open up your life so that you can be a letter read by all? gospel mission and vision let's look at these last few verses to see gospel hope Paul says verse 4 such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us but our sufficiency is from God who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant not of the letter but of the spirit for the letter kills but the spirit gives life Remember, Paul begins with this powerful metaphor of the triumphal procession and our commission to spread the fragrance of the gospel. Then he follows it with another powerful metaphor about how we ourselves are these letters of recommendation from Christ to be opened and read by all. And then like a good pastor, he starts to land the plane. And he knows that people, that he needs to be crystal clear with them and give them a confident hope for this mission and vision. And he says, this is our confidence. Remember earlier he said, Um, Who is sufficient for these things? He comes back to that theme and he says, just remember, our sufficiency is not in ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. Now follow that logic. He's saying our sufficiency is from God because he's made us sufficient. That's how you can be confident that you are sufficient for this task because he's the one who makes us sufficient. God empowers the gospel, not us. God changes people, not us. Therefore, the efficacy and the power of our mission comes from him. The calling and purpose of our vision comes from God. That's why we can be confident. You know, the whole, the world around you, our culture says, if you want confidence, look to yourselves. And that is a lie. Paul says our sufficiency does not come from us. It comes from God. That's why we can have hope for the life of faith ahead of us. And Paul says, with that sufficiency and that commission, we are ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. So here's what he means by that. In the old covenant, the letter or the law, it provided an external pressure For obedience. The problem with that is that none of us are able to fully live out the law. And so, what the law ended up doing was exposing our weakness, and we stood condemned underneath it. Because in the old covenant, the spirit wasn't changing you from the inside out. So, you had this law, you had these rules, and you would look at them. They were good rules, They they were showing us how to live with God. But there wasn't the means to live it out. And so, it became this pressure. Paul says, in the new covenant, The Spirit begins to change us from the inside out. So the internal life-giving work of God becomes the ground of our confidence and hope. In other words, our ministry is not merely communicating or telling people about God's law and His way of righteousness. But in addition to that, we're also communicating the promise of God by the power of the Spirit to change us from the inside out. In the old covenant, we had God's law, but we lacked the new heart to obey it. In the new covenant, we're given a new heart by the Spirit to follow God's law. So if you're claiming to be a Christian, if you're saying, I am in Christ, you have the power of the living God in you to live a life of righteousness. Not that you will perfectly, but you really can. Live righteously, and that's why we can have a confident hope because the Spirit gives life. That's what He does. Everywhere the Spirit goes, He gives life. So, if you're thinking about the mission ahead of you, if you're thinking about this vision of living your life open, and you go, I don't know about all that, and doubts start to come in and make you reconsider, and those feelings of inadequacy start to make us want to hide. What Paul says here should put all of that to rest. Why? Because the victory is already secured. Jesus is writing a story with your life that he actually wants people to read. Think about that. He wants your life to be read by all. All of it. So our ministry should be one of humble confidence. Humble confidence. Because it's all from Christ. Confident because it's all from Christ. So, as you plan for this year, are you hopeful? Are you going into it with a sense of hope that is yours in Christ Jesus? If not, I would encourage you to meditate on this passage. Meditation is not a weird thing, it just means to read it over and over and over until it gets down into your soul and you really actually believe it. And when this kind of hope gets in your soul, it puts steel in your back to say, I am a minister of the new covenant. I've been commissioned by God to speak the words of Christ and to live my life open as a letter of recommendation to be read by all. So Christian, as we begin 2022, remember, our mission for life is grounded in the victory of Christ. So let's join him in the parade. Don't be a bystander. You have a role to play to spread the fragrance of Christ everywhere. Jesus has given you a vision grounded in the gracious reality that you are being changed from the inside out. And he is writing a letter that he intends to be read by all those around you pointing back to him, and that our hope for living is grounded in the fact that God himself is our sufficiency. He empowers the gospel. He changes people. He gives life so we can live with confident hope. Let's pray.